There'll be no work done today in Sydney. A million of us are on the move, swarming into the streets like bees in the sun. No. Weird. Australia. Hi, I'm Stu Buchanan, and you're listening to the new Weird Australia podcast. Just one of the channels and projects that sits under the new Weird Australia name. There's compilations and films and artist releases and a whole more to explore at newweirdaustralia.com.au, as well as on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. Now, uh, we've added another channel to the mix this month, By Music Club. Now, the clue is very much in the name. You're probably well aware of uh, the kind of low financial returns to artists that come with channels such as Spotify. And so the Buy Music Club is a space where you can create playlists of your favourite artists with direct links to buy their work on Bandcamp. The New Weird Australia list for spring 2020 is up with music from the likes of Naretha Williams, Shoya Bauman, Divide and Dissolve, Ella Styles, Bridget Chapel, much, much more. You can find a link to the Buy Music Club in the podcast show notes. Do go and check it out and support your favourite weird artist. Now, this episode of the podcast is number 117, and I'm talking with Australian artist Penelope Traps, formerly from Northern Rivers of New South Wales, now based in the UK via a long spell in New York. She spent a good part of the last decade as one half of the electronic duo Golden Filter with her partner Stephen Hyman, before embarking on a solo career with the album Penelope One, released through Optimal. Now, it was a pretty marked change in direction from her previous project, embracing a kind of experimental form of alt-pop that was, in part, I think, inspired by the early heyday of uh, seminal 4AD records. She signed to Houndstooth for Penelope 2 and the remix album Penelope Redo, which featured a very impressive list of remixers, including Cozy Fanny Tootie, Mogwai, and Nick Coke Floyd from Factory Floor. Now, she came full circle in some respects earlier this year when she released a commissioned sound work titled Gnostic State for the Australian label Long Form Editions. I'm going to be talking quite a bit about that in the interview. Now, for a bit of extra context, this interview took place in June of this year in the wake of the Black Lives Matter protests and in the early days of the UK's COVID-19 lockdown. This is Penelope Traps on New World Australia. making sure I'm hitting record. Um, I've not done a Zoom. Well, you're lucky in some respects. (laughs) (laughs) 
So let's buck the trend of doing the usual narrative arc of starting at the beginning and, and start at the end, which I guess means your new release, uh, or most recent release rather, Gnostic State, which came out on uh, Long Form Editions a couple of months back. Uh, now, Long Form Editions, Australian label managed by Andrew Kaduri. We spoke to him on a podcast last year. Uh, can you tell us a story of how that work came together? Did you, did you know Andrew before this, or how did the idea come to, to make this work? No, I've not known Andrew in any way, shape or form. He approached me, which was super lovely out of nowhere. Um, I guess after Penelope 2 and before the Ream work album that I did. So he came with the brief, which was just like a very simple 20 minutes or so of deep listening, long-form listening, one piece. And that was pretty much it. And I took a year <laughs> to get around to finding that time to uh, get to it. And I was constantly apologising to Andrew. And he's like, no, no, it's fine when you're ready. And um, and I think it was like late winter here when I finally dug in real deep and uh, did, the, did it. Yeah, and it was great. Now, I should explain when you say it's winter here, you're in London, right? And um, That's correct. That's right. So yes. so winter there would be sort of December-ish or kind of turn of the year anyway, around that time. Absolutely, yeah. 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 So it was January, yeah. Long-form editions describes themselves as a, as a you know, collective for deep listening and they talk about immersive listening as well. What's, what's sort of your relationship, I guess, to, to the idea of deep listening? Was it something that you'd sort of hitherto explored in 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 any way well i think since not heavily however when i went solo in when we first moved to london five and a half years ago i started really exploring that side of um my music appreciation as much as within my own personal life because i started really getting into it sounds very average language there but um meditation and and in time yoga as well so i'm i come from the northern rivers of new south wales which is if anyone knows is quite um alternative culture so i kind of grew up around all that hippie movement post age of aquarius so it felt very natural for me to um I digress. I'm digressing a little bit. <laughs> I was going to, to say it's, it's, to it's go it, deep. <laughs> it is the yoga capital of New South Wales, is it not? Around, yeah, around, around I believe there. so. I haven't been there in a while, but um, yeah. yeah. So deep listening, I had explored it. Sort of started with I discovered this artist Apple Mogard um, before a lot of other people had found him, and he kind of blew up. But he does more sort of drone ambient drone music, 16-minute pieces, that kind of vibe, and my mind was blown and so I was like, all right, this resonates with me personally. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I guess when Andrew, because my my records themselves are not long-form listens, they're a little bit more left-field (laughs) pop-ish at times. So it was a it was a good challenge, and I was up for it. Everybody who contributes to that series 
approaches it completely differently you know and i, I think and, mm, and and certainly totally. not just from you know in terms of the kind of sonic palette but also conceptually as well um mm. how, did, how did you sort of interpret the idea you talk a little bit in the in the notes about it being a kind of microcosm of life in some respects yeah i guess from that sort of meditative headspace i wanted to keep it really minimal um and i just wanted it to be like as if your the chatter of your mind takes you in certain places and um using a very simplistic palette to you know with voice with um some field recordings of my little nephew and niece and and just sort of i guess i just completely take the blinkers off and I don't know exactly where I'm going to go and 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 then just sort of explored it and it was it was really done in one take like I didn't keep coming back to it and I mean I may have done some mixing afterwards but yeah I like that idea I guess where particularly in that's in in creative practice where you know through no no will of your own you're sort of taken off on on tangents or, or rabbit holes or, or just or life interjects and sometimes you can see that as a as as a distraction and can be annoyed by it or you reframe it differently which is well this is is just part of what's happening around me and 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 i yeah embra- and i embrace it absolutely i think because that that was as i said the long form for me was going to be sort of like yeah more about acknowledging what's going on around you because when you do a deep listen you're very present in the moment so I guess what I created musically was about things being very you know of that moment Mm. and yeah you also said the note something that that actually now in retrospect looks a little uh prophetic perhaps which is that you know you, you you talk about the idea that if we can learn to to listen better then we can be more we can be more empathetic we can be more compassionate particularly when it comes to sort of diversity and indifference and i think what's happened mm. what's happened over the last month or so has has really kind of i guess kind mm. of escalated that sense that um you know even the most kind of seemingly learned and cultural amongst us still have a lot of listening to do um, absolutely you know, yeah 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 like I think that the act of listening is, is some, I mean, it's one of the hardest things to remind yourself to do when you're growing up is like not talk about yourself all the time when you're like a teenager, you know, you're just sort of like <laughs> very ego driven. And then the you get to a point where you, you just have to start like not sprouting off how much you know, because you might not actually know that much uh, (laughs) on a really sort of deeper level and yeah in regards to so it's a that's why what Andrew's doing is so fantastic because it is encouraging people to exercise the act of listening deeply and and yeah like you say on a socio-political level it it resonates now even more so doesn't it and also uh, you know hopefully then maybe sort of kicks against algorithmic listening you know we're so um mm, being, we're being asked to whether or not we choose to buy into it or not but we're being asked to follow the kind of algorithmic route and actually that sort of more considered listening which is different to deep listening in that sense but i said a more considered listen um might 
help us to uh, be less driven by the you know kind of banality of, of the algorithm I suppose I know I mean I think we're all um susceptible to that if you especially if you obviously if you use Spotify um and I mean lately I've just been so like oh god I can't stand it you know like I'm, I'm stuck in this bubble and I know I'm in this bubble and I'm like oh get me out of it and um thankfully for example um I got asked recently to submit I've got to write a paragraph or so for about John Hassel and and I'm like amazing like just make make me just listen to John Hassel for like I'm in, immersed in his complete discography mm. and that's on Spotify so it's like that hopefully we'll throw the algorithm off <laughs> <laughs> yes I I like that we're bucking the trend mm. The solo work uh, that you're, you're making as, as Penelope Traps um, comes after many years, I guess, of making electronic music in, in the Golden Filter. Um, and we were talking there a little bit about, I guess, kind of unlearning in some respects or kind of, you know, unlearning how to listen or, or kind of unlearning getting your ego out of the way when listening and so on. Was there any kind of, you know, did, did you feel the, the need to kind of unlearn anything when you shift from the way you made music as Golden Filter perhaps into into the solo project because you know you from working so long on one particular project I guess there's a sort of like yeah. a, a kind of muscle memory or, or kind of instincts that, that kick in. The Golden Filter is this real sort of um, collaborative high energy for the most part um, project although we, we have got a side A and a side B to the personality and the two of us had decided before we moved to London that we'd like to, because, you know, we'd been working together for a while to explore having solo careers. And um, as far as unlearning, for me it's uh, technically there was actually in many cases more learning as a solo artist because, Stephen is the producer engineer vibe. So there was a lot, I, I tended to be a bit more on the background of that side of things in the Golden Filter and um, worked on songwriting, but less on the production side of things. So uh, there was a bit more, as I said, learning. Um, and I, you could say it's unlearning as well, depending on how you look at it. Um, so yeah, when I went solo, I was able to explore more elements of me, myself and I and and having production skills and, and just minimal approach to everything. Um, I guess it was unlearning dependency on, on a, a, a band and just being comfortable with being solo. And, and what about from a, a sort of 
compositional approach because obviously writing the type of music whether it's kind of synthwave or techno or, or however we might want to call mm. the work in, in golden filter the compositional mm. approach is is very different or is it i guess is the question like what is the kind of how did that need to shift um i think that musically when i i from a compositional headspace i always think in layers and dynamics um and I still do like what we did with golden filter and you know there's always that sort of sense of build and and the real sort of emotional journey obviously a bit more in a party (laughs) (laughs) at times if you're at Berlin or (laughs) in Berlin but um so when I started composing and even with Gnostic State for long form it's the same approach that I always sort of I I think very much in that sort of like waves of dynamics that are created whether it's through um, you know actual volume moments or um, the choice of instruments so that the textures have different depths and uh, yeah I think that Mm. is so it's similar but with my solo stuff it's much more minimal so it gets these really simple uh acoustic harmonics and and again those meditative moments where you just sort of dig really deep inside of yourself and you're bringing out something completely different emotionally and was that the kind of core sort of conceptual framework for the solo work when you were sort of considering it did you have a sort of conceptual framework in mind or was it more exploratory to begin with? It was a bit of a combo. <laughs> um, I think conceptually very influenced by early 4AD, this model coil, artists on cranky records, etc. Very, you know, so there was that concept there to an homage to that um, aesthetic. Mm. And... But then as as it progresses, you know, it becomes more self-exploratory. Yeah, it, it becomes its own thing. I'm I'm glad you mentioned this moral coil because I didn't want to be the one to bring it up. <laughs> because <laughs> the reason the reason I'm glad is that Filigree and Shadow was one of my favorite records as yeah. growing growing up. I think I discovered it in my sort of mid-teens um and it was a really really important record for my kind of absolutely you know, still and still yeah. brilliant it's astonishing record um and and you know hugely underrated i think it's uh i mean 4ad is 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 rightly celebrated but i think that record in particular um mm. is is something very special um i wonder if you also tip your hat a little bit to cocktail twins as well because as a as a scotsman you know they're they are one of the greatest oh, Scottish exports, and again, you know, um, where possibly mu- greatest. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I, I mean, they were definitely up there, and they were much revered, mm. you know, um, and still are to to a certain extent. But but I think are, are sort of in danger, perhaps, of of being a little forgotten as as, as time marches on. Unfortunately, um, I I you know? um I feel like I I'm going to beg to differ a little good, bit. There. Good. Um, only over here. Um, I have a teenage daughter, and all of her friends are massive fans of Cocteau Twins. Oh, that's so encouraging to hear. That's really great. <laughs> yes. So 
um, there's been a, a falling in love again in, with their output. So it, so I don't know how it, how it is in Australia, but um, no, I don't think they're ever going to lose their, their special place. In life. Yeah. Let's go on a slightly different tack. Obviously, the solo work is, a, is an ongoing practice, you know, and, and looking at where Gnostic State has sort of landed in that practice. Uh, and I wonder whether you can see a kind of marked difference between Penelope 2 and also where Penelope 3 might be going, because I believe that's sort of imminent. I mean, how, how far are you in the construction of Penelope 3? Uh, Penelope 3 is all done and complete and was scheduled to come out in October this year, but obviously due to our lovely COVID-19 friend, everything's been postponed till spring next year. Mm. So um, as far as like the development stuff, it'll be interesting to see how it falls in a different time in the future, <laughs> considering that it was written over a period of time that started last, like 12 months ago. So I had written the bulk of, yeah, the bulk of Penelope 3 before, com- that's why Andrew got um, <laughs> put a little to the back burner because I was in the midst of that for a good chunk of time. So there's definitely a continuation of t- the vibes from two into three, but it's it's funny because I guess long form editions piece Gnostic State and and some of the other pieces I've done are a bit more sort of very much left of field compared to like Penelope three has got some alt pop moments. Song, real songwriting vibes versus like ambient um, esoteric moments that I like to explore too. So a little bit of a split between the two. So people that perhaps will have only heard Gnostic State may get a, a tiny surprise if they hear Penelope 3. But there are still moments in that album that hearken to that too so yeah it's just 
I don't know what happens after three. One, two, and three have definitely been a progression of the original intent to create this essentially a trilogy. And then we'll see where it goes from there. I have to say, like the Penelope Redo, is that how I pronounce it? Redo? Album. That's the idea. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I, I thought the the selection of artists on there was 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 quite exquisite. But I often wonder when an artist commissions a remix project, whether in hearing something new in their work that it that it does resonate to the point where um, it provides some inspiration going forward. Um, you know, absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, it's really exciting to hear what somebody who's reworking your own piece chooses to pull out or ignore and um, and do their own version and it's definitely inspiring and I mean I mean getting cozy Fanny Tootie to do a rework was like uh, a dream come true mm-hmm. and uh, she brought in her cornet and it was just like, oh, wow, this is, you know, amazing. <laughs> and then Felicia Atkinson, like, stripped everything back and made it really bare and as if her and I were just sitting in a room together, which was amazing. And then speaking of Scotland, <laughs> uh, getting the Mogwai re- rework, sorry, was like well, that that was a bit of magic that was hooked up by my label mm. houndstooth to make that happen i don't personally know mogwai um yeah that was profound mm. yeah. <laughs> hearing that for the first time i was like oh my god i feel like i'm on top of a highland mountain <laughs> uh, and i, I, I love... mean i'm being cliched but no, i've no. actually been I have climbed a Highland mountain that was not meant to be climbed. I don't think it was somebody's farm. And and when you get to the top of, of, and you look out over the glen and uh, that image is still fused in my brain. And so when I heard that rework, I felt like I was there again. It was quite magical. Video and photography is so key to your work. You direct your own videos and, you know, mm-hmm. your 
co-directing the photography, I believe. It seems that both in the videos and photographs, the kind of idea of the body is so intrinsic to that, that, it, you know, that kind of body is sculpture almost in some respects. And you, yeah, your, yeah. And, and you yourself are the, are the subject um, there. Can you talk a little oh. bit about that concept? Yeah, well, when I when I went solo as a mature woman, it was very much and as a vocalist, my body is my instrument predominantly, and then you know it all it all expands from there. There was also this idea that I really wanted to challenge societal um, expectations of women, and uh, so there was that side of things. It was very sort of feminist approach to that and and the and the black and white aesthetic of the of the art of the human body within in certain environments as well not just inside but a lot of outside because as an an individual my you know purpose I'm very connected to nature so I wanted to be as connected as I could be and I think the um you know i was gonna say the birthday suit (laughs) when one is at complete um oneness so to speak with nature and so that became very much part of the aesthetic and as i said from a feminist standpoint too and and i think you've even sort of said something uh, sort of adjacent to that when talking about golden filter you know that that the music industry you know wasn't quite accepting Mm. because uh you know because you were sort of coming to it a little later shall we say than than a lot of other artists you're you know slightly yeah. older than those other artists i mean do you think that's also partially um you know driven by by genre where i where i sit in the genre whatever that may be called that i'm in now yeah people are not so judgmental and and unfortunately there's still some learning to be done in certain um, parts of society to to not have to have a, a, a visual aesthetic that you know and I'm really challenging the um, right now like coming into Penelope 3 it's like for me it's very much about challenging perceptions of what age group gets to be creative you mm. know like I, I it shouldn't be something that particularly a woman should stop when she reaches 35 plus it's if if anything it should be the opposite it should be continued as you get older and there's always been a a lot more of an acceptance of men doing that less Mm. of women so that's been a really and i think the photography element is definitely challenging that it's just you know it's really important that men and women should feel like they could do that. And yeah, I don't think the gold filters listening crowd <laughs> understands that they're not ready for it. I mean, a lot of the time, if it's a bit too much party party, then they're yeah. not thinking about that.
can't let you go without talking a little bit about Australia. Um, Absolutely. So originally from Lismore in northern New South Wales, as we said, sort of near near Byron, what sort of prompted the move to New York in the in the first place? Because you went, I, I guess, from Australia direct to New York, or was there is there a different sort of trajectory? Uh, it's a, a little bit of a, a road to get me there, but I was born in Sydney and spent four years in the big city, <laughs> so to speak, as a little one. And we went, and I have older sisters, and there was always this sentiment of like we were ripped out of the city life and plonked in northern New South Wales and. I didn't feel so much, I mean, I loved living up there, growing up there was great, but I always yearned to return to the city. So as soon as I graduated high school, I I bounced around and I'll keep the story short, but I did a classic Australian and backpacked and, and eventually via a short stint of being a flight attendant in the Middle East, Wow. <laughs> Don't know. Yeah, that was that was um, a massive learning curve on so many levels. Uh, I ended up in New York and, um, yeah, I, once I was there, I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm now in the city. So it was 15 years I lived there. Wow. The connection to Lismore, of course, didn't end mm-hmm. because your, one of your earliest projects with mm-hmm. Stephen was called yep. Lismore right um was was that a kind of yep. you know homage or what was what was the kind of uh, well it what... was funny because you know band names are always uh, quite elusive and difficult to oh I, for me anyway that's why I was quite happy to be Penelope Traps <laughs> now but um so we were throwing a list of words or names or this or that around and um, and that made it onto a uh, list of 10 or so. And Stephen was like, I don't know what that is at all. And I really like the sound of it. And so, <laughs> but then I was like, oh, it feels really awkward for me now. But it, as, it, as it turns out, um, it's quite lovely. Yeah, yeah. That, that's how it started. And I think it's nice. It's, it's, it's like a small part of the artistic story you know it's like a it's like a short chapter and then it became became something else how do you i mean what's your relationship with with australia now i love australia it's like i mean most australians you know it, it once you've been born and raised there it's who you are and you don't you don't ever forget that even though i haven't lived in australia in ages all the all the memories, like I was saying, of you know, being around rainforests and and just having it's very much about the land for me. Mm. Like not so much because I haven't lived in the, um, you know, I dip in and out when I visit family, but I don't live there. So culturally, like I'm not so connected. Unfortunately, I, I mean, I listen to some like some of the radio stuff, and I keep my eye on what's happening and I'm aware but for me my connection to Australia is the land and I I would like to live back in Australia but I'm thinking with the way things are going right now it will be a bit of time before I get back Mm. there (laughs) in the interim I really want to come out and do a tour of some kind I'm hoping that with Penelope 3 and um 
what comes next that Australia will book me for a couple of little shows. They don't have to be massive. I just want to, I just want to share, right. you know, I want to be on Terra yeah. Australis and yeah. just have this magic, my magic moment. I'm completely selfish about it. But. Uh, well, I, I do hope that happens. And um, I do very Fingers much, crossed. do very much look forward to hearing the, the new record. Um, Penelope, thanks very much. I really appreciate time. Oh, um, not a problem. That was lovely chatting. That's Penelope Traps on New Weird Australia. You'll find our most recent releases on the Houndstooth label and more info at penelopetraps.com. As you got a new EP out this month called Eel Drip, which is a four-track release, which she notes is about honouring the dead as well as the passing of lives within you and beyond you which in these very unprecedented times feels like the most appropriate response an artist can offer. Let's play out with the title track. This is Penelope Traps and Eel Drip. Yeah. 